And so clarity leads to consistency. And in terms of leadership in any organization, that's a must. I always tell people the analogy, leading a team is like parenting. It's very difficult, but if you are clear and you set those expectations, which you know I'm not a fan of expectations, but they're necessary in terms of a team. This is your job. This is what I expect you to do because this is your role and we are a team. And as a role player, if you don't, as an example, this is my analogy because I played basketball. If you don't bring the ball up the court, right? We're not going to score. If you don't get rebounds and dish it, it's not coming back the other way. So that is what makes a team. From Virtuous, I'm Noah Barnett, and this is the Responsive Fundraising Podcast, a show where we talk with fundraising leaders and thinkers to uncover how today's top nonprofits craft remarkable donor experiences and build lasting relationships at scale. On this episode, I'm joined by Beth Fisher. She's the VP of Communications and Advancement at Mel Trotter and recently made the transition from 20 plus year career in corporate sales and consulting to fundraising leadership. This lens that she brings to the fundraising world has provided her great advantages as she's helped Mel Trotter navigate and pivot throughout the COVID-19 crisis. But also she shares how she's run into hurdles and the lessons she's learned on how the task of fundraising and connecting our supporters with our stories require specific types of leadership. Beth is a brilliant communicator and insightful leader who talks about the elements of how you lead your team well and how that ends up driving and growing generosity. I can't wait for you to hear her insights. Let's dive in. So Beth, you recently just made a pretty big transition from corporate sales and consulting to now being a fundraising leader at Mel Trotter. But what's interesting as I was kind of digging into your story is that you've you've navigated, you know, many hurdles throughout your life and career and kind of have this squiggly path to how you've even gotten to this point or this transition. And so I would love for you to kind of share some of those experiences, but also more importantly, how those experiences have now shaped your approach as a fundraising leader and how you lead your team. Sure. Well, that's a, an open-ended question and, and a lot of um, backstory because I, you're right. It has been squiggly. It has been interesting. It has been nothing at all like what was on my one-time giant to-do list. I think, you know, I am... Um, I guess a self-described, although I hate labels, um, doer, type A, all of the things that we are all used to labeling others who go out into the world and say, I'm going to accomplish all of these things. And then none of those things happen, (laughs) at least not the vision that you have crafted for yourself. So that, of course, is exactly my story and many others that I've spoken to. So yes, I did make one giant career transition and change recently. So effective January 6th of this year. So I've been here at Mel Trotter for just over, you know, four or five months. And um, what's interesting is that I've known about Mel Trotter for three years though prior. So I, um, I grew up in a very small town, Northeast Ohio, and went to Ohio State for undergrad, which is not something you say frequently here in Michigan, but, you know, I, I'll, I'll, often I will leave with that as well. But it's one of the things that, you know, when I'm sure I, we'll get hate mail uh, for that comment. <laughs> right. And, and people go, do I hang my blue and yellow flag or my green and white? Like, that's the question here they ask in Michigan. I'm like, well, I have an answer. How about neither? <laughs> so, um, but at any rate, I, I did move to Grand Rapids, Michigan uh, three years ago. And the first place I came to was Mel Trotter. I I knew that I needed to plug into an entity and a mission greater than myself. And that is really what I have learned on that squiggly journey and path is that it's, it's not 
at all ever about us. As much as we are conditioned to think that we have um, acceptance based performance, right? Like you know, you go out and you say, I have, I'm going to do these things. So people will recognize me. I'm going to have performance based acceptance and love. And, and really the older that you get, the longer you're on your own journey, you realize, man, none of that matters. It's not about that at all. And wow, did I miss that sign and those multiple signs. But the interesting thing is we all need those signs. We all need that course correction to become the leaders that we're meant to be. And in my case, after undergrad, I um, got right into sales and, and loved it and didn't know a thing about business. So it was all about automating business process improvement. So I would go into organizations and say, wow, you know, you're not really doing this correctly. Now, mind you, I was 22 and I <laughs> would walk into organizations and say, man, your accounts payable process, it's not going well. And I didn't even know what accounts payable was. <laughs> so I started somewhere, which was there, and I really leaned on people who were ahead of me on their own journeys to say, well, let me tell you, this is where we pay invoices. Okay, got it. And I kept learning. I am a big believer that um, we all learn by going through experiences. We can say we've got degrees and we have done these things, but until you go out and apply them, you really don't know. And the same is true for leadership too. So I became enmeshed in all sorts of vertical industries from manufacturing to higher ed to finance. It really didn't matter because the products and services that I sold to help automate business processes were industry agnostic. And I loved it because every day was different. Every person I encountered was different on their journeys and also where they held space in terms of their organization and that organizational leadership. And what's interesting in retrospect is I look back in my you know early to mid twenties and even early thirties and I say, now, wow, I, I wasn't only learning about how to help businesses improve their processes and structure. I was really learning how to help individuals on their own personal and professional development journeys, just by sharing, just by holding space with somebody and saying, man, this has been my experience here. What has been your experience? So in my early 20s as well, I was um, diagnosed with leukemia and I wasn't supposed to make it. I was 24, 25, and I was in the middle of a divorce, which again, was not on my giant to-do list. <laughs> Failure is not something that a, a doer likes to ever see on the to-do list in the other column. Like, wow, didn't check that off and also didn't hit that goal. In fact, had the antithesis happen, right? So in the middle of a divorce and my, my daughter, who's now 23, was not quite two years old. And it was just the two of us. And I thought, I can do this. I'll get through this. I'll keep working hard at this job and automate business processes for organizations. And that is when they said, you know, P.S., you have leukemia and there's no cure and you're probably not going to live very long. So transitions. For me in my life, that was the first giant hurdle I had to overcome. It's something for which we are all, you know, worldwide going through right now, something very similar, which is a situation that's out of our control that was not on any of our to-do lists. We never saw it coming. And once it's here, you don't know how to navigate it because you haven't been through it before. I'd never been through cancer. I'd never had anybody in my family go through it. I couldn't even spell leukemia. <laughs> and I thought, how did this happen? And you go through all the immediate stages of grief, you know, from anger to just, uh, just this overwhelming sense of why me and sadness. And then you say, I have a choice to make. And that has really shaped me in so many profound leadership ways, because as I continue to help people on their own journeys and whether it's from a, a writing a book perspective or coaching perspective, or right now at Mel Trotter leading a team of, you know, nine or 10 people. It's all about remembering that they're not at the same point on the journey as I am today. And oftentimes we get so 
just hung up, I would say, maybe singularly focused in our own narratives, in our own days, in our own time, in our own to-do list that we don't hold that space for others and give them the allowance to be where they are on their journeys. So I'm going to pause a second because I could go on with this for a while, but I'm trying to just kind of paint that picture and then maybe lead into some more um, leadership here at Mel Trotter if that is where we were going with that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think you you hit on so many different things that are are tough and obviously, you know, went through, you went through tremendous and un, un, uh, undesirable circumstances to learn those lessons. But you you talked about this idea of transitions. And in those moments of transitions, we have the opportunity to learn if we're listening. And if we're looking for those, those, those ways that we can learn in, within those moments. And that, and that seems like a big part of your story. And it kind of pulls us forward because now, like you said, you're in the midst of another transition that happened pre-COVID. And we're all as a world amidst a transition. So as we're going through transitions, what are some of the things that you would encourage people to process? Because I think like even right now, as I'm thinking about like we're coming out of the response phase and kind of the the the, the emergency response phase of kind of the current global pandemic. But I don't want to lose this moment, even personally and as a company here at Virtuous, like that we don't note and learn the lessons that we were given during that transition so I guess, how would you advise someone, you know, knowing you've gone through many transitions and you've learned through those, what are the things that we should be doing to make sure that we hear those amidst this transition that we're going through or others that maybe others are going through? Mm-hmm. Yeah. First and foremost, ask questions. And, and that is always um, what I do, no matter what situation we're in, because none of us have all of the answers all of the time. And there are always different perspectives to be had. So one of my most favorite pieces of being a salesperson and consultant back in the day was just literally going in and saying, why do you like your job? Like, what do you like about this? You know, as I was trying to automate and and provide more efficiencies, I, I needed to understand how they did it currently and then lead them to what it could look like instead. And really the only way to uncover that is by asking questions. And it's not dissimilar at all when we are all in the midst of a transition or a situation that we had no control over, didn't see coming, et cetera. We have to ask those questions of ourselves and say, what am I thinking? What am I feeling? What am I learning? What am I concerned about? How do I navigate where I am right now today? Part of my issue growing up was that I always wanted the next thing. I was never satisfied. I say growing up, I mean, part of, I guess, my ongoing issue with that. But, you know, I always wanted more. It's like, you know, when I first started to run, I thought, oh, well, 5K sounds nice. And now I run marathons because three miles wasn't enough. And it's one of those things where if we continue to open our minds to the question and our ears, like you said, to listen, then that informs our next step. It's always about doing the next right thing in the moment. And again, oftentimes we get so carried away with what we're going to be doing and you know that question what do you want to, what do you see yourself doing in five years it's almost like we are conditioned societally to say where are we going which by default makes us forget where we are and that's not helpful you have to have a, a happy medium of both of those things yes goal setting and planning and where do we want to be all necessary things but not at the expense of where are we now that's how i would answer that 
Yeah. And so you, you mentioned like kind of two strategies. One is kind of being clear where you are right now and what happened and kind of having this reflective mindset and even almost keeping uh, a sketched plan in pencil and having a pink eraser next to you as you kind of plan ahead, but also making sure that you're focused on right now. And I think the other thing you mentioned was asking questions. And there's so much power in asking questions and there's a lot of socialization around this. And the framework I found, because sometimes it's like, well, what is the right question? Like personally, what's the right question for my role? What's the right question for our organizations to be asking? And a, a, a while back, someone introduced me to this, this kind of four-question approach to anything and how you can circumvent an issue. And it was asking the questions, you know, what is right? What is wrong? What is missing and what is confusing? And the answers to those four questions really helps you kind of circumvent a circumstance, whether it's your personal life or your work or, you know, like we're all right now, like in this moment, you know, of kind of transition through COVID into kind of what we're calling the next normal or the new normal. Those are some important questions that I kind of always go back to. Yeah, those are, those are great questions. And the thing that I heard you say that really um, landed for me is clarity. And, and that especially takes heed when you are leading an organization or just yourself, right? So you have to be clear about who you are. And, and that is really what I um, am passionate about. And, and I often say, be who you were created to be. I think we all know from a very young age who we are at our core. And I think a lot of the experiences that we go through shape how we show up in the world and then our next actions. And, and oftentimes it's through those painful experiences that tell us we are off course because we are not showing up as we were created to be, as our authentic selves in the roles that were meant for us, right? Our passions, our gifts, everything aligning and so forth. And you know, the book I wrote actually is just about that. It's about that journey. It's called Remorseless, Learning to Lose Labels, Expectations, and Assumptions Without Losing Yourself. For me, the labeling of, wow, you're a doer, you're a type A, you were this, you were that, leads to all of the expectations and assumptions. And it led to my decision-making, oftentimes incorrectly. And so if we have that undergirding and that confidence in, I am this way, and then we accept that. So there's that whole level of acceptance around the clarity. Who am I? Be clear about who you are and then be unwavering and unapologetic in that. So if this is how I am, I'm good with that. And now what does that mean? How do I then take that clarity into my role at work? And so it's interesting here uh, among our team. So I lead the um, communication development areas. And the team here is, as you can imagine, uh, as a team anywhere is uh, filled with multiple personalities and multiple uh, experiences and histories and outlooks and so forth. So I had them all do an Enneagram, which is always helpful to me. I like to know how people's personalities sort of inform how they do their work. And I had them guess the Enneagram number of the teammates. And they, it was funny. They all um, were all over the place with one another, but they, when they got mine right, they're like, you're an eight. <laughs> I am an eight. I am a, a challenger and disruptor because I ask questions. And knowing that, coupled with the fact that it took me all those years to unravel and get rid of, just basically ditch all of the labels, incorrect labels, and wrong narratives in my head, and to show up with the clarity of who I am, that actually helps the team understand that there is consistency. And so clarity leads to consistency. And in terms of leadership in any organization, that's a must. I always tell people the analogy, leading a team is like parenting. 
it's very difficult, but if you are clear and you set those expectations, which, you know, I'm not a fan of expectations, but they're necessary in terms of a team. This is your job. This is what I expect you to do because this is your role and we are a team. And as a role player, if you don't, as an example, this is my analogy because I played basketball, if you don't bring the ball up the court, right? We're not going to score. If you don't get rebounds and dish it, it's not coming back the other way. So that is what makes a team. And I want people to have the permission and, and the faith in the fact that nobody is going to, there are no repercussions for showing up as yourself. There are no repercussions for saying, this is my true self. This is my role on this team. And I know that I'm safe and secure here, just like you do with teenagers, right? You say, hey, you need to be home by midnight. They come home at one. You say, I'm sorry you made that choice. <laughs> here, we were clear about it. The clarity was there. And then here's what it looks like on the other side. That, that to me is leading. And it's leading by example. And it's also leading by um, clear direction. With this. And part of that is when you do it that way, you instill a sense of safety and confidence and inspiration that people can say, I'm good here because I feel safe and I feel inspired to do the work that this team needs to do. And now more than ever, that that feeling of safety amidst an environment that has a lot of uncertainty seems more important than ever as a leader that you can give to your team. Or, you know, in our case, as, as fundraisers, even to our donors, that there is a lot of uncertainty, but being clear and providing kind of a level of certainty or clarity through how we communicate and how we posture is is of utmost importance. And and. I also want to touch on something else you just said because we talked. You kind of we we talked about this idea of how you want to lose labels, but you don't want to lose yourself. And then you talked about kind of bringing that into the workplace and even understanding the whole self of your teams. And it touches on kind of a, a trend that I've been seeing, at least uh, socialized in kind of um, various commentaries about how to build teams. And it's that before we almost had like our work selves and our personal selves. And there was starting to be a bridge, but now more than ever, there's like this integration of like, we want the whole self to show up. And as we all kind of are living in a, a, a circumstance where we're <laughs> working from home, we're educating kids or taking care of parents or, you know, even just living in situations that aren't ideal, it's even more obvious who our whole selves are in our work and how important that balance is. And so for other leaders that maybe are don't feel as comfortable with that approach, um, how would you advise them to at least like bridge that gap with their teams on like, hey, you should show up. You should show up fully. Like we understand that you're like in the midst of balancing six balls at home in the midst of work. What advice do you have for those leaders that are kind of maybe navigating some of this for the first time? Yeah, I, well, first and foremost, I would point them to anything written by Brene Brown on leading. Um, you know, daring greatly and, and all of the, the works that she has written because she speaks about vulnerability. And that's exactly the essence of what you're getting at is how, how do we be vulnerable with one another? Because if you're not transparent and vulnerable, on some level, one could argue that equals a little bit of um, inauthenticity. So you, to me, it's very endearing to know that somebody else doesn't get it right, especially as a leader. Leaders who are vulnerable and say, you know what, I have no idea. And man, did I mess that up. And I am so sorry, but we will figure this out together. To me, that is always much more encouraging and real than to have somebody say, you're going to do it this way because I told you and I'm right. I mean, that's <laughs> sort of old school. And just as we know, not right, right? Because there's not one person walking any organization or on the planet that has it all figured out. 
we all learn as we go and as we grow. And growth and transformation happens through taking risks and through walking through doors that we you know, never expected to open. But when they're open, we have to walk through them because status quo, the only way to break free of that is to do something differently. So people can get very comfortable in the way that they lead or the way that they show up. But comfortable does not equal growth and change. Comfortable equals I'm good. And I often argue that's selfish um, because comfortable can really lead to a, a selfishness in terms of um, people stopping their ability to show up, right? I'm comfortable in this relationship. So I'm just going to sit here in this chair <laughs> at home at night, right? I'm not going to engage with my significant other because I'm comfortable. I'm good sitting right here or I'm comfortable at work by not interacting with my team because it's quieter in my office. Whatever that looks like and whatever lens that comes through to an individual, I would just encourage somebody who's perhaps not comfortable doing that with making the first step and trying something to disrupt their level of comfort. That's the way to bring true authenticity to a team. And especially as a leader, I, I've seen people on zoom calls with, um, you know, leading large organizations and in the background, they're like in what they think is a private bedroom. And one individual had his, you know, wife's garments hanging up. And somebody said, I don't think she'd be happy if she knew those were <laughs> on the screen right now. He's like, I'm so sorry, but that is endearing. That's vulnerable. We can't expect a leader to say, you're going to do what I tell you to do. And then the rest of us have no idea or insight of view into normalcy. It's normal. That was a normal thing to see. <laughs> I'm sure there's so many of those kind of like uh, mishaps now that we all live on on Zoom and video. And, and I, I think what you're talking about right now is this idea of kind of a, being a, a, a vulnerable leader. And I feel like some might feel like that's uncomfortable or too squishy. But what I don't want to miss in what you said earlier is that there's this level of vulnerability and kind of bringing your whole self and encouraging people to do the same with a balance of clarity around what still needs to be done and the goals. So it's, it's not like, oh, we're all going to show up and we're going to be vulnerable and we're cheerleading on. It's like, it's balanced with this idea of expectations. And I know we've talked about this a little bit before, Beth, but you know, you, 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 you've expressed this balance between vulnerability, showing up, being your true self with this idea of making sure that it's very clear with everyone on your team, what the expectations are, you're empowering them to execute, mm -hmm. and then you're evaluating their delivery. And that leads to excellence. So this is kind of expectations, empowerment, execution, evaluating that, and then that's what drives excellence. And it's a balance between maybe the more squishy kind of soft skills and the actual execution. That's exactly and delivery right. on goals and, you know, because we're all, you know, you're in fundraising, you have goals that you have to hit because it matters. There's, there's, there's people depending on the work that you do to serve your donors and to bring them together to fund the work Mel Trotter's doing. And that mm -hmm. still needs to be present and clear. That is exactly right. Yes, we, we are all those things, but certainly I love the analogy of a, a you know, rah-rah cheering every day and we're being vulnerable, but yet no work gets done. And again, it is that absolute balance that has to happen. So we pick one another up as teammates, but at the same time, we are always working towards a collective goal. And those have to be established. Those have to be clear, like you said, and executed. And we, we have to always drive excellence. And if we're only just showing up and sharing and being vulnerable, but the work doesn't get done, then there's no excellence to be had at the end of that. Everybody feels good, but no work is getting done. So I think it being vulnerable 
and and showing up with that clarity and communicating the expectations and goals very clearly perpetuates that feeling of team safety. And then that actually, again, perpetuates the excellence at the end of that. that, that helps us rise everybody's game. And then we say, wow, look what we accomplished together. And we did it through varying personalities and different approaches. And, and that's all well and good. We need that. The world would be very boring if everybody operated the same way. Oh, so, absolutely. Yeah, I'm very grateful to be here. That squiggly path and journey, it's not always easy. In fact, rarely easy, right, to go through that. But again, to our earlier kind of bringing this full circle, how do you show up and stay present? That is key because we are always learning. And it's such a a wasted opportunity in any opportunity that any of us go through to sort of just muddle our way through it with closed ears, closed hearts, closed minds. Because you know, this too shall pass is a very cliche and very real saying. We are not always going to be where we are right now today. Just like I can look back on my life when I was, you know, 25 and say, I have no idea how many get through this. And I, I did, you know, and so have many others. And it's not the easiest thing to do, but I was in that moment. There's a way to be absolutely present such that you can deal with the pain, you can deal with the emotion, you can deal deal with the fear of uncertainty and also simultaneously be sort of cathartic in that and say, okay, I don't have control right now, but I'm also learning something. And you just say, I'm going to find that balance to couple my fear with the space of learning and come out on the other side of this when it does pass. And it always does. And say, wow, I'm a, I'm a transformed person. This feels pretty great. Doesn't mean that there's pressure to do it on the next day, <laughs> you know, but, but eventually all of those experiences on all of our journeys are cumulative. And finally we say, all right, this is making sense to me, but we have to keep showing up in order for that to happen. And all of this reminds me of, uh, to reference Brene Brown again, her like FFT framework that she promotes, and this idea of reframing kind of the circumstances we're in and setting the expectations that this should feel hard or this should feel different because it's your first time and all of that. So definitely relatable um, on that point. And I, I kind of want to zoom back in, kind of zooming back in on the work that you're doing at Mel Trotter because so much of what we're talking about from a leadership standpoint and how we lead teams is, is what you're bringing into the work that you're now doing with Mel Trotter. And you joined Mel Trotter, obviously, from a corporate sales consulting background, coming from for-profit to nonprofit. But you also stepped into this role right before COVID hit. And so I'm curious, as someone that's transitioned from for-profit to nonprofit, what you found most helpful from your kind of old work? And what have you had to like relearn or reprogram because what you're doing today is different than maybe the work that you were doing in your prior role? Yeah, good question. Well, the first thing is you're absolutely right. I often joke here with um, Dennis, who's our president and CEO. So this was a, one heck of an onboarding over here. I feel like somebody threw me <laughs> the lion's den and like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are going to pop out at any given moment. That's what I feel like is going to happen. <laughs> so it's been a whirlwind, but honestly, I I love that. Um, I'm, I'm very much a person who Uh, enjoy sort of different every day and going, you know what? I don't know, but we'll figure it out. So I think perhaps that was the most helpful thing, right? I would go into organizations and I would say, I don't know what you've been doing because I haven't worked here. I came in in a consultancy role, 
but I know we'll figure it out how to get through this season of where you are and come out on the other side with a more efficient process that makes sense to your team that will be able to then take you into the future in ways that you've been sort of stuck to date. Because one of the things that I think I heard more than any other phrase in that process of change and growth and transition was, well, I don't know. We've always done it that way. (laughs) I, I don't know. We've always done it that way. And when I came here to Mel Trotter, I asked those questions. So why, why are receipts being done like this? Why are donors being contacted like this? Why are things happening such as they are? I don't know. This is how it was when I got here. I don't know. This is how they've always done it. And, you know, that was endearing, but also for me, very um, just inspiring. It really fueled my inner passion and my former, you know, 25 years of, of practice, if you will, to say, all right, we're going to figure this out. There's got to be a better way. And as you know, Noah, one of the things that I, I did pretty quickly was, um, remove a CRM that had been here um, for many, many years. And nobody was very happy with it, but they said, I don't know. It's just always been here. I said, well, it doesn't need to be here. And in fact, it's going to go. <laughs> it's going to go quickly because Virtuous is awesome and has the UI that everybody needs. And from a donor perspective, it, you know, we are going to have responsive fundraising and we're going to be able to, to relate to donors in a way that they will appreciate. And ultimately to meet our mission goals, right? That our guests, our homeless population here in West Michigan will be so much better served because we will have insight to our donor base that really connects them with our guests and our mission. So that helped me tremendously. Had I not come from 25 years of disrupting other organizations' business processes, I don't know that I would have been comfortable disrupting Mel Trotters, but I've loved every second of it. (laughs) And in some ways, the, in the midst of the crisis moment, because obviously you guys are on the front lines, you're serving, you know, people every day and, you know, you're very active and obviously COVID disrupted, not only from a fundraising standpoint, likely from an operations standpoint. And I think it's also like what I found is that that transition moments, as we've kind of been referring to create an environment that's like ripe for change. So much of the time, like inertia wins, but in the midst of transition, I think there's a, a greater willingness to ad- to adopt new things and and kind of your your process of discovery through curiosity, which then leaded to disruption, mm-hmm. uh, really helped position you all well because you know we've I, I know things um, have been difficult, but you guys are making changes and striving and moving forward. And I I, I want to kind of get back to the the latter half of the other question is that like obviously you brought a ton of value, but you're in a new role, you're in a new kind of organization, you're on a different tack. What, what has been like, what have you had to learn in the, in the midst of that as someone that maybe comes from like, you know, I, I ask questions, I'm discovery, I'm doing all this, I have this background, but coming into the nonprofit space, what, I guess what has been surprising or things that you didn't realize until you really got into the role? Yeah. Wow. So many things, right? (laughs) Yeah, it's kind of like, where do you start? So they, the translation was definitely there. And I'm a, a big advocate. And just I will continue to, to speak this to anybody that will listen. I, I think it does nonprofits a disservice to say, well, we're just a nonprofit. And we're not for profit. And therefore, we don't have to function like a business. I think that's wrong. Um, this is a business, as is every other organization out there, whatever the label, right, um, that has doors open that is serving for the greater good. And whether that serving looks like, hey, we're manufacturing a product or we are curing cancer or we are feeding hungry people and housing people who have no homes, whatever that looks like, 
there's a business skeleton within that. So, you know, that translated, but the things to your, your question that I didn't know was, were many. It was a long, it was a lengthy list. I have always been a communicator, right? Talking's not a problem. Writing's not a problem, but to lead a communication department is very different. I've never done that before. And so I had to learn how the media functions. I have to learn how PR functions. And a lot of it was understood, but never in my case put into practice. So I leaned very heavily on uh, my team and the staff that has been doing this. And they've been fantastic, right? It's that vulnerability to say, I have no idea what I'm doing here. How have you guys handled this in the past? And please help me from avoiding any of the pitfalls that lay up ahead. And they've been great. So it's the transparency to say, I have never really worked with this litany of vendors before. Um, How do you deal with them? Um, You know, because I was a volunteer here, I I taught devotions at Maltrotter for three years. I understood on some level the guest interaction. So I had that as well. to sort of lean on and just to draw from, but, but the rest of it, I had to learn on the fly and, and I enjoy that. So I'm, I'm lucky in that regard, but for people that I think maybe that provides some sort of angst, I don't know, how am I going to figure this out? Again, I go back to my earlier answer of ask the questions and, and depend on your team and say, you know what? I trust and value you enough to ask these questions. And I, I really am going to sort of defer to you and helping teach me on this journey and then I can reciprocate and teach you with the things and kind of fill in those collective gaps. Yeah. And that, that just ability as a leader to admit when you don't know is such a powerful lesson. I think it takes way too long to learn (laughs) as a leader (laughs) because so much, especially as a doer and I am also an eight. um, And so it's kind of being able to, to know when you don't know and when it's okay to admit that and to like let other people lead is, is a challenging lesson um, that, uh, takes a lot of experience as we said before there's some things that experience is what's going to help you drive forward in those moments right right and there's you know there's no um substitute for it you know, again in my early 20s i i look back and i feel like i should go around and apologize to everybody that knew me growing up or until about age 30 i'm just i am so sorry i thought i knew every single thing and that you knew nothing <laughs> i'm so sorry for that approach um you know and some of it is um self-defense mechanisms and again the wrong narratives that we have in our heads that we need to outperform everybody else to feel value. You know, so there's some level of, um, a big level, I should say, ongoing level of deep introspection. And, and it takes a while to be honest with yourself. But once that happens and you tear down that internal wall, then that narrative gets corrected. And then that can go out into the world and, and project onto teams in a way that you don't lose yourself and your ability to lead or your drive or your, you know, eight-esqueness, but, but what you, what you were able to do with that is to sort of, um, come alongside it and have a softer tone and say, it's okay. Yeah. I don't know everything. And I, it's freeing as well. So we're empowering other people to be equally as honest with themselves. And people will say, yes, I am a graphic designer, but I don't know how to do this piece of that. Or I am a marketing specialist and I don't know how to do that piece of it. Or I'm a donor relations officer and I'm really good at calling on these folks, but I, I'm not great over here. That's how we build, and that's how we fill in gaps. Absolutely, and and I think we've 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 shared, or you've shared, so many like just key lessons as like leaders, and regardless of whether you're for profit or nonprofit, but especially as we're uh, in the midst of a transition time, just being able to be or to lead with vulnerability, but also clarity and confidence is is just so important, and a skill that you know fundraising leaders or nonprofit leaders. Uh, 
can grow through adopting um, and being open and honest. And I think those are the ones that are going to thrive uh, and not get kind of tangled up in our current moments. Right. So it's been super helpful. I, I do want to, and you might not even know this is strange because I know you're obviously new to the nonprofit space. But when I when I was looking at your new role at Mel Trotter, you're the VP of Communications and Advancement. Mm-hmm. And the interesting thing is, from my experience, um, those two things don't tend to be under one roof uh, or one leader, nor do they... There's conflict sometimes between those two areas. Like communications is one thing and advancement's another thing and the development process and the communications process are different. So how... Was that something that was already established at Mel Trotter, or how did those two functions interact? Um, and is there lessons that you could share around those two things? Oh yes, I'm I'm laughing and I'm also editing as I go before I even say the words. Um, it, because yes, I mean you nailed it right. And it, so I should have led with that as an answer when you said, "What didn't you know about nonprofit?" So <laughs> I had no idea. And here's how this went down. I, I will share this completely transparently. I was, the role initially was director of development. And as a born and bred salesperson, I'm like, of course I can do that. Of course I can raise money. I love raising money. I love talking to people. I'm a salesperson through and through. Yes. And as door, we talked about doors opening. Um, when we went on through the, the process of me coming on board, there was a former VP of communication who um, took a different role at another organization. So somebody said, well, you know what? We'll just combine those two. And I was a little bit on the fence to say, you know, do I want to, you know, the translation for me was a VP of sales. If you, I had a VP of sales in corporate. So direct, you know, your director of development, you're directing the development officers who are quote, bringing in money and selling, if you will. So I thought, is this what I want to do? I don't know, but I will figure it out. I'm sure the next meeting will uncover some of my uncertainty and there will be clarity around this. <laughs> and so when I had the conversation, it was, okay, let me ask you, these questions, I'll get those answers. And P.S., it's no longer just a director of development position. It's the vice president of advancement. We've combined the communication department and development. And to me, as an eight, as a doer, I'm like, well, there's my sign. I can do two things. Yes, I'm in. (laughs) (laughs) And I really, the overlap is inarguable. There's absolutely, between these two departments, I have such an amazing staff. And um, we have a digital marketing specialist, digital marketing communication specialist, and we have a you know, brand manager and somebody who handles direct mail within our direct mail third-party company. All of that messaging is what our community needs to understand is observing. What do we do? What do we care about? And obviously, that's what our our donor officers, That's so So the, the overlap is there. Now, there are pieces with leaving the communication department, i.e. media, public, writing, that are not necessarily an overlap with fundraising, but that I thrive on, right? I, as a writer, as a communicator, I love those pieces. So if somebody said to me, you're going to have to give up one of those roles, which will it be? And I'll say, I, I can't decide. <laughs> so I love the role. Is it um, typically segregated, as you mentioned? Absolutely. And I understand why. It's a lot of work. You know, it's um, each is a, its role into its, unto itself. So um that's how it shook out, and that's what we do. And because we have just a great advancement team, it's working. And, you know, it's working as well as it can work. And everybody is open, honest, transparent. And sometimes I just say, guys, like, I'm kind of done. 
So this is going to wait till tomorrow. That's been hard for me personally because, you know, I like to check off my list. I got all these things done. And when the list keeps growing, I'm like, okay, I'm one person, 24 hours in a day, remind myself. So then I recorrect my own narrative. Like you can't do it all. Uh, and I think there's there's so many challenges in how we present to the donor uh, holistically that by integrating these two functions, you actually have an opportunity to course correct some of the disconnect that has existed uh, maybe in prior organizational structures. And so I, even though it seems like it was kind of like circumstantial how they came together, I know from personal experience, having them together is actually a huge opportunity um, and differentiator um, as you continue to move forward. Even though it is a lot of work, I just think having those two functions together. So I was curious how they came together because I know that's something that when we talk to development teams or we talk to marketing or comms teams, they're like, well, you know, how do we integrate these two things? Because <laughs> we yeah. don't necessarily cooperate in the same way. But at the end of the day, we're both communicating and connecting with right. the same people. And one thing we promote here at Virtuous a lot, which you know I know you're uh, on board with, is how do we actually have like a single conversation through multiple channels with mm-hmm. our donors? And, or right. with our donor, you know, like a single person, like how do we do that well? And that does require that integration. So I'm sure you'll see the benefits of that, um, even though, you, like you said, it is a lot of work. Yeah, yeah, the consistency and messaging and, you know, responsive fundraising. Uh, we, we know this well, that that is what we need to do. So it's no longer, let's just, you know, sort of spray direct mail everywhere and hope something sticks. And and certainly direct mail companies don't do that at all. It's not what I'm intimating, but what I'm saying is even internally, we can't just say, well, let me just throw out a message and see if it sticks. <laughs> it has to be intentional, strategic. And, and we have to say to our donor base, this is how we are growing. This is what we have learned coming out of COVID. And we have learned so many lessons here at Maltrata, right? How do we care for the homeless population in the midst of a crisis when the folks whom we serve are already in crisis. What does that mean? What does that look like? How do we house people in just flu season, right? Not just a COVID virus, but flu and whatever else. So what do we take away from this? And so that communication piece um, is, is huge. You're exactly right. It has to be consistent. And the opportunity is, I think what I don't want to walk away from. So if somebody said, give one of these up, I'm like, no, thanks. I, I'd go down kicking and screaming, I think. <laughs> Uh, well, Beth, this has been wonderful. We've talked about kind of like everything from how you can run discovery through curiosity, which obviously is leading with kind of questions. We've also talked about kind of how you, what a new leader looks like and this idea of you're your leading with vulnerability, but also clarity around expectations and the execution and excellence that your team delivers. And we also kind of dove into the weeds a little bit about like how what we do in the for-profit nonprofit world is relatively similar. And by understanding that and almost elevating our position as a nonprofit and saying, we are doing something good just like anybody else and not labeling ourselves. We are, and we're almost losing that label while also just re-owning what we do can be a powerful growth lever. And so we've talked about all these different concepts, but I want to zoom in and get super practical. <laughs> and as we kind of close out today, and say, it, it, we're obviously emerging from kind of the response efforts. Fundraisers are dealing with a level of uncertainty. Donors are dealing with a level of uncertainty. What would you encourage fundraising leaders to be f- one thing, if they're like, if they have one thing written at the top of their list, what should they be focused on right now? <clears throat> when you say one thing to me, you know, i pretty verbose. So that's like asking me to, to hide my hands behind my back. Say one thing, 
<laughs> that's you only get one thing. I'm going to cut you I, off. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so, I hear you. And it's an important question. And, and honestly, I don't mean this to sound trite, but I would say um, perseverance. That is what I would mm. say to continue to persevere through this, because we know that crisis giving has occurred and it's probably, um, you know, almost there's a fatigue, right. That goes on in, in any season of, of giving. I, I think we are in that or about to hit that if we're not fully in it already. And so I would say persevere through this to insulate going forward so that we can come out on the other side in a way that feels normalized if that ever is to exist again, yeah. but in, in a way that continues to serve your mission, right? We all have a mission that we are funding for. And so whatever your mission is, I would say you have to continue to persevere through this time to lead you to where you need to be on the other side of that. And so there's no other way through it except to show up every day and do the work. Absolutely. And a good uh, good friend of ours here at Virtuous, Barbara O'Reilly, who's a fundraising consultant, kind of framed it as, you know, we went through response, now we're in recovery, but the next phase is really this idea of resilience building um, to kind of, uh, strengthen our position and, and, and your, your, your call for perseverance and kind of showing up is such a good reminder of that same, uh, a similar concept. Like that's what we're here. We we're doing important work and that work matters pre COVID post COVID. And so we need to continue to show up and be competent in that. So Beth, it's been a pleasure. Thanks so much for your time and your insight. Yeah. Thank you, Noah. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Responsive Fundraising Podcast by Virtuous. Each episode we've designed to really give you the insights into the philosophy, process, and playbook of leading nonprofits so that you can grow giving and build deeper relationships with the people who matter most, your donors. And if you want to dig further into responsive fundraising, we've actually put together an exclusive content pack just for listeners of this podcast. If you go to virtuouscrm.com slash podcast, that's virtuouscrm.com slash podcast, you can download a content kit that includes the responsive fundraising blueprint, which outlines all of the strategies that are involved in implementing responsive fundraising. You also get the Responsive Fundraising Playbook, which includes 20 plus plays, which are basically strategies that you can implement today at your nonprofit to become more responsive and ultimately raise retention and increase giving. We'll also throw in a bunch of other resources and content that is going to be helpful for you as you think about how you're applying responsive fundraising at your nonprofit. And it's completely free. You can grab that at virtuouscrm.com slash podcast.